Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features an episode of NBC University Theater featuring the H.G. Wells story, The History of Mr. Polly. It first aired on October 17, 1948. The NBC University Theater brings you Boris Karloff in The History of Mr. Polly by H.G. Wells, the fourth in our series of full-hour dramatizations of outstanding works in modern British and American fiction. Many a little man, like Mr. Polly, has dreamed of escape from the dullness of middle-class life, of rebellion against all the many conventions so irksome to the individual, but so necessary to our civilization. But, the world being what it is, the dream is only apt to come true in the mind of an author like H.G. Wells, and in the pages of one of his brilliant satirical comedies. So, to any listener with similar yearnings, we do not recommend trying to follow in the footsteps of our hero. But instead, we do invite you to find vicarious release and enjoyment by following the story of his adventures. This is the history of Mr. Polly. It's spreading. It's caught on in throats. Hurry up with that hose from the fire station. Can't do it. The fire station's already burned down. Well, do something. The whole of High Street's going to go. We begin our story with the fire in the Fishburne High Street, because the fire in the Fishburne High Street was the turning point in Mr. Polly's life. Mr. Polly, aged 35, 35 and a half to be exact, inclined to a little localized uh, plumpness, with a clean-shaven face and the forehead of a thoroughly discontented man. Mr. Polly, who on any given Sunday before the fire, might have been found eating his wife's cooking in the cramped little kitchen of the cramped little shop in the High Street, eating in what could best be described as a quivering silence. More cold pork. Pork? Call it pork, do you? That ain't what I call it. Oh, whatever you call it, do you want some more? How much can you punish a man's stomach, I'd like to know? You know my stomach. Oh, but dear Lord knows I do. Some more cold potatoes, Uh, then. Some nice cold suet pudding. I'm going out. Where's me cap? I'm on there where it's meant to be. I'll get it for you. Finish your beer. No beer. (laughs) No pleasing some people. Here's your hat. I don't want me hat. I want me cap. You're not to wear your cap. It's new. Supposing it was to rhyme. Does it seem like rhyming? Shan't wear this. Silly old mud pie. Want me to wear it forever, do you? Sick of it. Sick of everything. Hat. Here, don't you kick it. Shall if I like. Shan't wear any hat. Tantrums. I haven't patience. And Mr. Polly, full of the injustice of life, took himself out into the strong east wind. The east wind always bothered his digestion. And went out and sat in an uncomfortable style and hated the whole scheme of life. Particularly as it involved Fishburne, his shop, his wife, his neighbors and himself. 
Mr. Polly expressed himself on this occasion. Oh, rotten, silly wheeze of an owl. How'd I ever get into this silly owl? Why'd I get into this beastly silly owl? A question has been asked. Why indeed, Mr. Polly? How indeed? Mr. Polly's history began in the ordinary way with two parents who thought him the most wonderful baby in the world and fed him most unwisely. His education was in a national school and a private school of dingy aspect, where he was set to doing sums that he did not understand and caused to read the catechism with the utmost industry, and where the studies of bookkeeping in French were pursued, but never quite overtaken. He had the curiosities and the dreams of boyhood, but he kept them to himself and concentrated on writing copperplate. However, for the young Mr. Polly, as for others of his age and temperament, one small window opened up into the world of things that might be. The world of the penny dreadful. And dangerous Dick the Highwayman smiled a cold smile, undaunted by the muskets which ringed him about. Then, with an oath and a laugh, he vaulted upon his horse and dashed into the night. Cool, but was he a one. And so... Much as circumstances contrived against it, a smattering of romance filtered into the soul of young Mr. Polly. Copper plate, ruddy copper plate. Cut to write this ruddy copper plate. Make the downstrokes thick and the upstrokes thin. Stupid pen. This ain't the life for you, old man. Or to run off and be a deep sea diver. Maybe join the Navy. That's it. The Navy. All this until he was 14, at which time his father remarked... It's time that dreaded boy did something for a living. For he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow. Hey, not you fellas cut out that racket. You're shaking the old blooming dormitory. We'll do what we like in our corner. You do the same in yours, eh, Platt, old man? That's telling him, Polly, old man. Righto. We're the three P's, aren't we? Parsons, Platt and Polly. Uh, that Morrison, he don't tell us what to do. Thinks he's something. Chief Apprentice of the Port Burdock Drapery Bazaar. Who's he, I should like to know? Well, he's Chief Apprentice. We're only... Here, here. Don't rub it in, old man. You're right, Parsons, as Rabelais says. We know what Rabelais says. Here, I tell you, Polly, you'd better watch that reading back of the counters. Old man Garvis will sack you if he finds you. Not I. I mean to get on. Parsons the one ought to worry. I think he'd dare sack me. You oughtn't to tell him off quite so plain. Look here. Do you think he'd sack the only man in the old blooming place who can dress a window? Do, do dress him smart. Smart? I tell you, old man... The art of window dressing's in its blooming infancy. All balance and stiffness like a blessed Egyptian picture. No joy in it. All conventional. A shop window ought to grip people as they go along. Right? Right. right. Look at old Morrison's windows. Tidy, tasteful and correct. And bleak. Bleak. Go it, old man. Let's have more of it. Just pieces of stuff in rows. Quiet tickets. Might as well be in church, old man. A window ought to be exciting when you see it. It ought to make you say... Hello. We want a new school of window dressing. Polly, I've been timid. I've been holding myself in. All that's over now. Next time I do a window, I mean to have a crowd of bust. 
Tell Gervis I'll see us talking. Not he. Quick. In here. In the silk. All room. right, now, what's up? Parsons is busted. Ah, talk sense, old man. Busted. Sacked. Out. And likely in jail to boot. What? Parsons? The same. He did his blooming window. What window? What he said. Well, and what about it? He unrolled everything. Piled blankets all up in heaps, he Ooh, did. Must have looked real nice. Big tickets with red letters. Curl up and cuddle below cast. He didn't ever. Cozy comfort at cut prices. He did, though. Cozy. Well, but he wouldn't sack it for that, old man. If old Garvis didn't like it, he'd simply have to tell him to take it out. He told him. Well, you, you mean he wouldn't, old man? Well, wasn't only that. He got, like you might say, violent. Oh, if only I'd seen it. Garvis told Morrison to tear down Parson's window and dress it proper. Parsons hit him over the head with a roll of Huckabell. Oh, he must have been splendid, old man. Splendid he was. But he's out, nonetheless, and into the police court. But you saw it all, old man. You'll be a witness for old Parsons. Not I. And have old Garvis on my neck. Platt, if he's out, I'm out. Oh, come, old man. I was jolly fond of Parsons, but if you mean getting out... Again, my five years are up, I'm leaving. That's all there is to it, old man. I can't stick Port Burdock without Parsons. Mr. Polly wandered from situation to situation. Canterbury, Clapham, Wood Street. A careful salesman, a neat window dresser, small sedate tickets. And sometimes, between the efforts to be smart and to buck up, it would occur to him that he was in the wrong trade. That somewhere in the world there were happiness and beauty and joyous states of mind and body, unconnected with gents' outfitting. But where they were, he could not imagine. And then... A long-forgotten gentleman, Mr. Polly's father, died, and Mr. Polly found himself the sole owner of a family Bible, a bust of Mr. Gladstone, a quantity of old clothes, and £395. Well, he looks peaceful. He died peaceful, Alfred. Mrs. Johnson and me... We've done what we could for him all the years he lived with us. No doubt of it, old man. After all, Alfred, your dear mother, rest her soul, was my own sister. Now, if you care to sit down, Alfred, we'll talk over the funeral. You want to sit in here? Well, it's cosy in here. You needn't look at the, uh, <coughs> your father. Yes, uh, about the funeral now. I thought something very simple. Well, you'll have a hearse, of course. Oh, I do like them glasses. It's so refined and nice they are. He'll have Podger's hearse. It's the best in the town of Eastwood. Then you'll want a mourner's carriage or two, according as to whom you're going to invite. Didn't think of inviting anyone. Well, you can't let your father go to his grave without asking a few friends. Ah, uh, funeral baked meats like. Well, not baked, uh, but of course you'll have to give them something... Ham and chicken's very suitable. You don't want a lot of cooking with a ceremony coming into the middle of it. You'll just want the immediate relations. But he hated our relations. It's just because of that I think they ought to come, all of them. Mm, bit vulturial, ain't it? Wouldn't be more than 12 or 13 people if they all came. And besides, he's not eating them now, you may be sure. <laughs> uh, have you... Seen to your morning, Alfred? Must have morning, I suppose. Well... Gotta see it through. If I were you, I should get ready-made trousers. All you really want. And a 
black satin tie and gloves. Should have jet cufflinks as chief mourner. Not obligatory. Shows respect. Mm, shows respect, of course. Well, you and Alfred talk it over. I've got to start arranging things. I have to get him into the ground with everything proper. Got to put him away somehow, I suppose. That's the idea, Alfred. Now... Have you thought of how to invest your money? Have you got used to the idea of having it yet, old man? Well, you'll have to do something with it. Give you 20 pounds a year if you invest it proper. Haven't seen it in that light. No end of things you could put it into, you know. Shouldn't feel short of getting it out again. Soon the back horse. Oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Now, uh, there's uh, building societies now. Uh, there is. Lend it on mortgage. Very safe form of investment. Sharp think anything about it, not till the old man's underground. Mm, you know, Alfred, uh, you might do worse than put it into a small shop. That's the ticket. Shop. Shop. Your trade, Alfred. Gents' outfit. Yes, but well, I don't... see now. Figure a hundred pounds for stock, then there'd be your rent. Mm. Oh, you could do it easy. Be making your way in no time. Yeah. Have to keep books, of course. No well, one wants to know where one is. Double entry's best, uh, a little troublesome at first, but it works out in the end. Alfred, for a man who sticks to it, there's a lot to be done in a shop. Well, now I don't I've know. I've just said word to your Aunt Larkins, Alfred. Who's me Aunt Larkins? Now, Alfred, you remember your Aunt Larkins. She'll come right along with her three girls, Annie, Miriam and Minnie. Maybe you don't remember them, Alfred, but they'll be real nice company for you. <laughs> Not in need of company now, girl. He's a fellow of means. Going to open his own shop, eh, Alfred? Well... Shop or no shop, I say those girls are just what Alfred needs. Hello, Miriam. Thought I'd look you folks up. Oh, I haven't seen you since we buried your poor father. Where have you kept yourself? Quit me situation. I'm living with the Johnson. I've been a bit of a rest. Fancy you coming to see us. Oh, come in, Alfred, do. Ma! Ma! It's Alfred! She'll bring tea. Oh, sit down, Alfred, do. Oh, no, not there. We're all in a mess today, <laughs> you know. It, it's my cleaning up day. You just have to take us as you find us. <laughs> well, I had to come over and see my pretty cousins again. Oh, Alfred, you do say such things. <laughs> I didn't say which of them. Alfred, we are glad to see you. Oh, yes, Ma, and some tea. You'd like tea, wouldn't you, Alfred? If I might. You'll just have to pardon us, Alfred. Miriam's turning out the front room. Never did see such a girl for cleaning up. But then all my girls is tidy. Pity Annie and Minnie are at work. Won't be home until seven. Shall I pour the tea for you, ma'am? Now you just stay right there next to Miriam. Look real sweet, you do. <gasps> Two lamps, Alfred? If I might. But now you come sit next to me too, Aunt Larkin. Oh, Alfred. <laughs> I've seen a bicycle out the window. It isn't ever yours. It is, though. You are clever. Fancy riding a bicycle. Oh, ain't no cleverness. You, you just wobble along. Oh, wobble? <laughs> <laughs> no, just wobble along. Oh, Alfred. <laughs> Supposing you was to run somebody down. No foreseen little accidentulous misadventures. <laughs> None whatever. <laughs> Never run anyone down, ma'am, not really. 
course there was a stout elderly gent walking on the road to die. <laughs> I don't say you ran him down, Elfrid. Run him down? Not me, ma'am. I never run anything down. <laughs> wobbles, <laughs> ring the bell. <laughs> wobble, wobble. <laughs> oh, I never laughed so hard, have I, ma? Have I ever? Well, <laughs> this is pleasant, but I'm afraid. Elfrid, you're not thinking of going. Not when you've just come. Supper at eight at the Johnson. I won't hear of it. I simply will not hear of it. You're to stay to supper here. Well... Do stay, Alfred. Well... You can walk about with Miriam to meet Annie and Minnie. It's a nice walk by the cemetery and the recreation ground. And you come back here for supper, Alfred. We just love to have you here. <laughs> You are quiet today, Alfred. Uh, matters on me mind. You've been looking around for a shot, Alfred. See what it too takes time. Uh, don't do to be precipitous. Oh, it don't. Once you got it, you got it. Like choosing a husband. I made Larkins wait two years, and I hope my girls will do the same when the time comes. Oh, ma. I got three fine girls, Alfred, and I say any man would be glad to wait for them. To be sure, ma'am. Minnie's so clever, you know. And Annie's real sweet and affectionate. And Miriam... Ma, you, you forgot to bring in the jam for tea. Why, I believe you're right. That was right careless of me. I get it straight. Are you really going to get a shop, Alfred? Well, now, uh, when I get this shop of mine, I shall have a cat. Got to make a home for a cat, you know. Oh, Robert. A cat's no good if it ain't a tabby. That's it. Cat, I'm going to have in a canary. Oh, I didn't see. think of that before, but a cat and a canary seem to go, you know. Mm. Summer weather, I'll sit at breakfast in the little room behind the shop. Sun coming in the window, cat on the chair, canary singing, and Mrs. Polly. Ooh, hello. Mrs. Polly frying an extra bit of bacon. Bacon singing, cat singing, canary singing, Mrs. Polly. But who's Mrs. Polly going to be? Figment of the imagination, you know. Put it in to fill up the picture. No face to figure yet. Still, that's how it'll be. Bit of garden, perhaps? Not the back-breaking sort, you know. Just a patch of nasturtiums and oh, sweet pea. Nice. Red brick yard, clouds lie, trellis. Humorous wind vibe. Mm, you will have it nice. Rather. Smart little short. Counter... Desk, all complete. Umbrella stand, carpet on the floor, ties and O's on a rail. Cat asleep on the counter. I like cats. I'm always signed to mother. I wish we had a cat. Like to have one someday. Never will, though. No more in your shop. I'll have my shop right enough and before long. Trust me. Cat, canary bird and all. I'll have my cat first. You never mean anything you say. I'd get them together. Why? How do you mean? Shop and cat thrown in. Alfred, you mean to say... Oh, I am sorry. Yeah, the jam's so put away, Miriam. It took me all this while. It's all right, ma'am. Ma, I think we need some more butter. Oh, no, ma'am, you sit right down. Uh, I'll get it. Oh, nonsense, Alfred. Ma doesn't mind, do you, Ma? Eh? Oh, oh, no. Why, no, not at all, Alfred. 
You stay right here. I'm sure I can find some. You were sighing about a cat, Alfred. <laughs> Give you one. Very day, my shop is open. I should like to see you in your shop. I expect you'll keep everything tremendously neat. Well, it needn't be so bad. It's a home. It's a home. Oh, one did ought to be happy in a shop. So respectable. I could be happy in a shop if I had the right company. If you had the right company? Uh, I'll get that all right. Alfred, you don't mean you've got someone. I got someone in my eye this minute. Alfred, you don't mean... I do. Not really. Well, you and me, Miriam, and in a little short cat and a canary. Uh, just suppose it. You mean you're in love with me, Alfred? Yes. Oh, Alfred, kiss me. Uh, now, Miriam, y your mother... Oh, I didn't dream you cared. I've loved you ever since your poor father's funeral... Leastwise, I would have if I'd thought. It didn't seem to mean anything you said, though. I can't believe it. Nor I. Oh, I do love you, Alfred. I know we'll be so happy. You and me and the shop. Stop that whistling, Alfred. It runs right through me head and you know it. Helps me arrange the stock. Arrange the stock. Not a good that does. Never a tinkle out of the shop bell, except for a necktie or two on Saturday night. Got a new line of straw hats. And they'll go the same way as the last new line. Down in the cellar for the mic. This year's my show. And mine, worse luck. Time you was seen about supper. All cold from last night. Oh, not that same kidney pie. Couldn't we have muffins? Muffins? Is it garden enough to do without muffins? Trying to keep this place tidy. Maybe if you didn't try so hard. Oh, it's all your fault. Coming down here to Fishburn, taking this place without my knowing. With white paint all over to get dirty and, and the coal indoors and all the stairs. Well, I didn't think of oh, it. Oh, of course not. All you think of is bringing more books in to muss things up for me. All right. Now, can I arrange this stock or can't I? Oh, arrange away for all of me. Alfred! Shan't arrange the stock then. Shan't whistle. Go outdoors and whistle in the street. High Street, Mr. Polly looked round him for congenial company, but all he saw were the lower portions of his nearest neighbor, Rumbolt, the china dealer, who, with his back turned, was diving into a crate of straw. Mr. Polly had been looking at that back for some time, and it had begun to annoy him. At last, he approached and prodded it. Hello! Can't we have some other point of view? I'm tired of the end elevation. Aye? Of all the vertebracious animals, man alone raises his face to the sky, old man. Why invert it? What's that? I'm sick of you turning your back on me, see? Oh, that's what you're talking about, is it? That's it. Why the wind blows, I expect. But what's the fuss? No fuss. Passing remark. Don't like it, old man. That's all. Can't help it if the wind blows me straw. It's an ordinary civility. Can't unpack China with a straw blowing in me eyes. 
Cut to unpack it how it suits me. Needn't unpack like a pig rooting for truffles, Nietzsche. Truffles? Needn't unpack like a pig. Pig? You calling me a pig? That's the side I seem to get of you. Here, you go on indoors. I don't want no row with you, and I don't want you to row with me. Now, believe me, I don't know what you're after, but I'm a peaceable man and a teetotaler, and a good thing if you want. Hey, you mean to say I'm... Asking you civilly to stop unpacking with your back to me. Pig ain't civil and you aren't sober. Go on indoors and let me go on unpacking. You, you, you're you excited. You mean to say... Get back to your shop and let me get on with my business and stop calling me pig, see? And sweep your pie I came here to make a civil request. You came here to make a row. I don't want no truck with you, see? I don't like the looks of you and I can't stand here all day arguing. Now get back to your shop. Something of the sort happened between Mr. Polly and each of his neighbours, one at a time. The ironmonger, the grocer, the chemist. And so it happened that Mr. Polly kept his shop in Fishburn and at his wife's cooking and had no one to talk to for 15 years. 15 years that brought Mr. Polly, behind in his rent and a bankrupt, to the seat on the stile above Fishburn. Oh, rotten, silly, beastly ways of an owl. Spreading. It's caught on in throbs. Hurry up with that hose from the fire station. I can't do it. The fire station's already burned down. Well, do something. The whole of High Street's going to go. This, you will remember, is where we began our story. We repeat it in order to make an important point. The point is this. When once a man has broken through the paper walls of everyday circumstance that holds so many of us securely prisoned from the cradle to the grave, he has made a discovery. If the world does not please you, you can change it. Mr. Polly made this discovery by failing in his plan to kill himself. The plan should not have failed, for Mr. Polly made it carefully. He chose a Sunday morning while Miriam was at church. Nothing to it. Good pile of papers in the cellar, windows open, paraffin on the stairs. I break the lamp to make it look like that started it all. I light the fire and then I cut me throat. Miriam gets me life insurance and me fire insurance. Nothing to it. Nothing to it. But while the stairs blazed merrily and while Mr. Polly was regarding the razor which was to end his life, a tongue of flame licked at his paraffin-soaked trousers and it burned him. This wasn't in Mr. Polly's plan at all. Sigh. Ow! Ow! Get away! Good Lord! What the deuce? Hey! Fire! 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 another drink, Polly, old man, and tell us again how it's happened. Well, Rumbo, old boy, is like I told you. I upset the lamp. I just lighted it. I was going upstairs and my foot slipped against one of the steps where it was a bit rotten and down I went. Thing was a flare in a moment. Never been a fire to beat it that I know of. No, never has been. Think of it. Fire companies from four towns and half the high streets gone up in spite of them. <laughs> lucky you weren't killed, Polly, my friend. Very lucky. Nothing left of any of our shops, though. Not a splinter. That's <laughs> a pity. <laughs> I suppose there'll be a public subscription. Not for those who's insured. 
Hyman Short, myself. Royal Salamander, very good company. Mine's the Glasgow Sun Company. They pay on the dot. I'll have every penny back. Uh, you insured, Polly? Deserves to be. Hard lines it would be if there wasn't something for him. Oh, I'm insured. Commercial and general company. I'm all right. Well, cleared me out of a lot of old stock. Well, that's a blessing. Rusper the ironmonger's a bit sick. His place didn't burn. <laughs> well, Polly, you played a brave man's part, and we'll drink to you. Boys, a toast to our friend, Mr. Polly. Here is the And thus it was that Mr. Polly realized that things could be changed. That there could be new beginnings. From Hollywood, the NBC University Theater is presenting Boris Karloff in The History of Mr. Polly by H.G. Wells, the fourth in our new series of radio plays based on outstanding works of modern Anglo-American fiction. Our intermission commentator on Mr. Wells' novel will be Dr. Harvey C. Webster of the University of Louisville, where productions of the NBC University Theater are currently being used in conjunction with its course in British and American fiction, under our National College by Radio Plan. And now here is Dr. Webster, speaking to you from Louis. Who now reads Bolingbroke? Who ever read him through? Somehow, these words by an almost contemporary, about an almost forgotten 18th century writer, come to my mind as I think of H.G. Wells. No one, certainly, not even Wells himself, ever read Wells through. He has written more words than Upton Sinclair or Anthony Trollope, and more vague and mistaken ones. But there are those who read him and will read him, as you who have been listening to Mr. Polly must agree. The trouble is that Wells was not only a prophet, but an angry prophet. Not only a reasonable man, but a man who could not understand why other people were unreasonable. As the 20th century and he grew older together, Wells wrote more and more words, more and more badly. Angry words, hastily written, to compel the world to become reasonable as he was. His last book, which snarled at the world that did not listen, is not as readable as his earlier The Fate of Man. The Fate of Man is not as readable as his outline of history. None of these are as near to works of art as Mr. Polly, Tono Bungay, Kipps, or the thoroughly delightful and provocative scientific romances about invisible men, time machines, and wars between worlds. Why? Wells had no patience with artists. Conrad, he thought, an uneducated mind, obsessed by mere vividness. In his famous controversy with Henry James, who wrote less and is more remembered, Wells spoke of James' perfected style as the painful manner of a hippopotamus trying to pick up a pea. From sentence to sentence, Wells wrote better than Dreiser, but he rarely, after that first fine flare of talent, created either character or scene as memorably as the awkward American did again and again. Still, one must praise him. If one could read him entirely, it would be like reading a fascinatingly chaotic history of the promises and mistakes of our century. Wells not only did and thought almost everything during his representatively confused life, he wrote about it. And at his best, which happened frequently in the years from the time machine to Mr. Polly, he was artistic despite his contempt for art. 
Though their technique is old-fashioned, Tona Bungay, Kipps, and Mr. Polly are very much alive still. Wells' world of small shops, of cricketers, of truthful caricature, of men like Teddy Ponderevo who continually sizzle in a world dull as cold mutton, are often as vivid as any characters in the world of Dickens. This world of H.G. Wells may seem remote from us now, just as many of his prophecies seem mistaken, but it is fun to live there, for he wrote of it with a gusto that serves as, or is, art. Thank you, Dr. Webster. Our dramatization continues from Hollywood after a brief pause for station identification. Fishman was beginning to settle back into its old ways. Its merchants, now solvent, their insurance money safely in their pockets, were looking forward to conquering new worlds of retail trade. And the equally solvent Mrs. Polly was growing accustomed to the unflattering appellation, deserted. Yes, things could be changed. There could be new beginnings. Far from Fishbourne, along country roads where the birds were piping, and the big van horses pulled their loads, and the mists hung low on the grass at midnight, walked a solitary tramp, plump and dusty and at peace. Hello. What? Oh, hello, little girl. Didn't see you at first. I'm not a little girl. I'm nine. You don't tell me so. Then perhaps you know what place this is. Silly. This is the Potwell Inn. The next town, Slamon. Very good. Do you think the innkeeper might give me a bite to eat? My granny's the innkeeper. She's the best cook in the whole world. That's her over there in the doorway asleep. Ah, fine-looking woman. She's fat. Plump, I should say. Come on, we'll go and wake her up. I'm with you. What's your name? Polly. Liar, I'm Polly. But so am I, on the honour. Well, all right. How do you do, Polly? How do you do, Polly? <laughs> I'll wake Granny. Granny! Granny, wake up! <coughs> what? Don't shout, child. Uh, oh! Fine day, man. It is. I believe I was having 40 winks if all the truth was told. What can I do for you? He's hungry. Cold meat? There is cold meat. I've room for it. Step into the tap. Run and play, Polly. All right, Granny. Bye, Polly. What did she call you? Name of Polly, man. <laughs> That's a funny one. Do little. Happy to meet you, ma'am, I'm sure. Some uh, cold boiled beef and a bit of crisp lettuce? No mustard and... A tankard. A tankard. Uh, looking for work? In a way. What sort of work? <laughs> Never have thought that one out. Looking for ideas. Such beautiful weather this spring. Hear that? Hear what? Listen. Someone wants the ferry boat. And there's no ferryman. Could I? Can you punt? Never try. Very simple. Pull the pole out before you reach the end of the punt, that's all. Go on out and try. <laughs> oh, me side. I've hurt me side laughing at you, Mr. Potter. <laughs> 
a rough show, I'm afraid. Don't you? I never tried it before. I don't know the look on that old codger's face when you sloshed those water weeds over him. And then you had to go and hit him three times with the bottle. Uh, twice, ma'am, twice. And he didn't hurt his head, not particularly. Did you charge him anything? Granted. Never thought of it. Ought to have charged him something. <laughs> Here, you'd better come and have your cold meat before you do any more punting. <laughs> Might be wise. <laughs> oh, you and me will get on together. Boots a bit of all right, ma'am. You eat better than you punt. Dare say you could learn to punt. Could have done better if I hadn't been punting on an empty stomach. That's a queer feeling as the pole goes in. I've never held with fasting. You want a ferryman? I want an odd man about the place. I'm odd, all right. What's your wages? Not much, but you get tips and pickings. I've got sort of a feeling that it suits you. I got a sort of a feeling it would. Give me a trial. I've more than half a mind, or I wouldn't have said nothing about it. You got a sort of uh, half respectable look about you. I suppose you haven't done anything. Bit of arson. As long as you haven't the habit. Oh, me first, ma'am, and me last. As long as you haven't been to prison. That's what does the mischief. Never been to prison. Bit of cheese. If I might. Uh, but first, uh, what's me duties? Well, there's the ferry, digging potatoes, keeping the boats in order, sweeping chimneys, cleaning pewter, washing glasses and waiting on the customers, beating carpets, uh, helping with the poultry, keeping the ends out of the garden, running errands, cleaning boots, throwing out drunks. That'll be all right, ma'am. In my spare time, perhaps, I might do a bit of fishing. Little Polly. Did you like your food? Never tasted better. I told you. I'm to be the new ferryman. You'll have to punt better. Hey, did you see me? No, but I know. I've seen the others. What others? What Uncle Jim has scooted. Scooted? He comes and scoots them. He'll scoot you too, I expect. I'm not a scooter. Uncle Jim is. When he comes back, he'll cut your insides out. Perhaps he'll let me see him. Who's Uncle Jim? You want to see my rabbits? I've got some rabbits. Another time. Who's Uncle Jim? Silly. Don't you know who Uncle Jim is? He'll show you. He's a scorcher. I thought he was a scooter. He's that, too. He only came back just a little while ago, and he scooted three men. He don't like strangers about. He's going to teach me to swear. Teach you to swear? And spit. Horrible. He's not what I'd call handsome, but he's a scorcher, no mistake. And you want to know a secret? Granny don't like him. Been seeing over the place, Polly? Have a look round. Who's Uncle Jim? That, that grandchild of mine been saying things? Bits of things. Hope you wouldn't find out so soon. Oh, very likely he's gone. Oh, she don't seem to think so. Hasn't been near the place these two weeks and more. But who is he? Oh, I suppose I got to tell you. He's me own sister's son. Me own sister's son and me a widow woman and helpless against his doing. She says he scoops people. I pray to God night and day that he won't come back. Back he comes, sure as fate. Won't let a man stay to help me or work the ferry. The ferry's a scandal and they'll take away me license and me living and he knows it. It's fake. It's horrible. I wouldn't mind so much if it wasn't for the child. I buys him off and he goes and spends it and back he comes worse than ever. 
Bickish sort of man, I expect. Mm, he wasn't so bad until they took him and put him in the reformatory. It was me who had to put him there. I seen him steal. And him sitting there in court, looking at me like a viper. More like a viper than a human boy. Not saying anything but, all right, Aunt Flo. How much money you give him last time? Three golden pound. Won't last long. But I keep open. Uh, what sort of a size is he? I'm not one of your herculaceous sort. No, you'll scoot. You better scoot now and I'll try and find some money for him to go away again as soon as he comes. Ain't reasonable to ask you to do anything else. How long has he been about? Three months. It has come the seventh since he come in by that very back door. After seven years. And he says, you want me reformed and you got me reformed. I'm a reformed reformatory character. And he grins with his black teeth. If only it wasn't for the child. You two oughtn't to be left. Still don't see that it's my affair. I like to have a look at him before I go. What's that? Only a customer. <sighs> the subject was closed, but Mr. Polly did a deal of thinking. But he stayed on, and such are the workings of the human mind that he came not to believe that there was such a person as Uncle Jim. Until four days later, when he was walking back to the inn from the post office. It was twilight. Half a mo. What? I said half a mo. You the new bloke at the Potwell Inn? Suppose I am. Good evening. I said half a mo. We ain't doing a bloody marathon. I want a word with you, see? Well... What is it? Just a friendly word. Just to clear up any blooming errors. You've got to bloody well clear out, see? Clear out? How? Because the Potwell Inn's my beat, see? You clear out. Suppose I don't. Oh, <laughs> it's a kindness I'm doing you to warn you, mister. What, uh, what do you think you'll do? Cool. Ouch! Let go my arm! I'll make a mess of you! I'll kick you ugly Ah, face. you got no rights! Right? Oh, I'll cut bits out of you! I've got no quarrel with you, mind. It's, uh, it's a little late to go tonight. I'll be around in the morning, about eleven, see? And if I find you... Uh, we'll consider your suggestion. <laughs> At half past ten the next morning, Mr. Polly found himself by the merest coincidence seated under a clump of fir trees about three and a half miles from the Potwell Inn. Quite truthfully, he had no idea in which direction he would walk when he got round to walking. Not my business. Where the devil do I come in? He knew in that moment as much as a man can know of life. He knew he had to fight or perish. She'd ought to go to the police with her quarrels, and I'd ought to go back to my wife. Man comes into life to seek and find his sufficient beauty, to serve it, to increase it, to fight and face and dare anything for it, counting death as nothing if the dying eyes turn to it. If I had a chance against him. The wise man's course lay in the other direction. Mr. Polly tried to see himself taking the wise man's course, but the wise man had a paunch, round shoulders, and red ears. And excuses. If I get killed, I get killed. If he gets killed, I get hung. Don't seem just somehow. 
And so saying, he turned his face toward the Potwell Inn. He's mad, drunken, looking for the child. Where is she? Locked upstairs. Where's he? In the garden. Wait, he's coming. I hear him. I'll see to Polly, here, take a beer bottle. Right. Uh, you? You? Scoot! Your job, old man. I'll take you apart. Not just now. Oh, it broke. Oh, Polly, that won't stop him long. Yes, yes, quite so. Bottles, party jump bottles. Out of me way, you old crow. Language. Around the house. Come back here, you yellow-livered. Catch me. Blooming ring around the rosy, is it? Housey, not rosy. Oh, Polly, he's got two bottles. Don't let him catch you. Doing my best not to. Get the hands on you, you black Waste your breath. Stand still for a minute, like a man. Polly, Polly, in here. We'll bolt the door. Right. Give me that pigtail first. Now, now I've got you. Correction. Don't bolt the door. You all right? Bit winded. He's got the pile off his head. Now what? Out the tap room door. Come on in outside from the rear. With what, though? Here's the broom. Not much. All right, give it to me. Don't make any noise. Stand back when I open the door. Open the door, you ugly piece of a baboon. Open it and I'll cut your liver right out. One for you, eh? Will you? Now I've got you. Let go of that broom. That's my broom. You. Let go. Not much chance. Stop going in a bloody circle. You, you don't give me much choice, old man. You, when I get hold of you. I sigh. Tactical error, old man. <laughs> You're back to the river, you know. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> you know, I've got a weak, weak chest. And i got the putt pole now, old man. Heel <laughs> of Achilles. Hey, hey, fair fighting. Down you go. Stop. <laughs> Tendous. I've got to land. Keep out. I tell you, I've got a weak chest. You want to go downstream, eh? Well, just keep out. I don't mind walking with you. I tell you, I've got to land, you fool. You keep out. Don't you ever land on this place again. It's cold. This is getting to me matter. You want cooling. You keep out of it. I can't get across, Blaster. You can get to the island right downstream. Don't you come this way. Oh, my God. I'll skin you for Keep off or I'll do worse. Oh, you was lucky. I warn you, I'll be back tomorrow and I'll have your head. Hang on to your round. Polly! Right here. Ain't he killed you? Do I look but it? where's Jim? Gone off. Oh, I thought she was done for. I put him in the river, gave him a bit of a doing. Wish I'd seen more of the fighting. Didn't you see it? All I saw was you running around the house with Uncle Jim after you. You're mistaken, Polly. I was not running. I was leading him on. During the next few days, Mr. Polly routed Uncle Jim on two more occasions. But this was due to the presence of reinforcing guests at the inn, and as they both knew, did not count. Then there was a break in the hostilities for three months, while Uncle Jim became reacquainted with the local jail, because of his having, as Mr. Polly learned to his extreme discomfort, stolen a hatchet. Then came the October night over whose events it would be kindest to draw the curtain of oblivion. But it is certain that the town constable happening past the Cotswold churchyard just before dawn 
came upon a most unusual sight. Here, you. What you doing down there? Come on out of it. Look out. He's let fly at me twice already. Who's let fly at who? I tell you, take the rest of you out from behind that wall. The rest of me? Besides the part I can see already. And don't go scrunching down more. I says come out and let's have what's what. I warn you, Constable, this is very unwise. Well, I'll be. Mr. Polly. Now, why'd you be hiding behind the churchyard wall at this hour? And in your nightshirt besides? I'm not hiding, Constable. I'm looking for a gun. You had a drop, Mr. Polly? Not I. Truly, I was... Never mind. Now I know what you was looking for. How much room behind that wall? He won't shoot at you, I doubt. Perhaps we can make it back to the inn. Not through the churchyard if he's in there. Well, we'll take it slow like. Come on. Who's he anyway, Mr. Polly? You ain't said that yet. Why, Jim, of course. Him again? He took after you with a gun? Well, as a matter of fact, it was my gun. Then how'd he get it? We, uh, struggled. And you chased after him out here in your nightshirt? Uh, yes, that's right. That was the way of it. Look there, on the ground. There's the blooming gun. Yes. Knew it wasn't much good when I bought it. Come on now, let's see how Mrs. Doolittle and the kid made out. Doors are all open at the inn. Don't see any signs of life, though. Wait a bit. Ah, there's the missus upstairs. Polly? Me, ma'am. Is he gone? He is gone, ma'am. And is that gun gone? Gone for good, ma'am. Then I'll come down. Just take a look in here, Polly, in the tap. What a mess. Not a bottle left old, nor a mirror. Not a penny in the till, lest I miss my Polly, guess. I've never had such a scare in my life. I thought this time he'd killed you for certain. Oh, not I, ma'am. Mr. Polly did real bribe, ma'am, chasing out after Jim like that. Chasing out after him? Was that the way of it? I'd have sworn Polly went out by the upstairs window before Jim come downstairs. Well, I, uh... Uh, don't seem to remember too clearly now you mention it. Uh, whichever it was, ma'am, Jim had time to make a terrible mess for you down here. Down here? You think he made a mess down here? You ought to see Polly's room. What did he do in my room? What, didn't he? Furniture all broken, bed all torn up, and every stitch of your clothes gone. Me clothes? Not so much as a sock... Lord Cyrus, you'll excuse me, Constable. What's wrong, ma'am? Where are you going? Well, it's plain I can't stay in this room, can I? Polly's still in his nightshirt! <laughs> Uncle Jim never was heard from again. Five years passed away peacefully. And then, on a summer afternoon, while Mr. Polly sat fishing under the pollard willow tree, he began to think. It was a plumper, browner, and healthier Mr. Polly who engaged in this exercise. A Mr. Polly who wore a small, square beard and had not had a troubled thought since the last vanishing of Uncle Jim. But he was having them now. Left her the hundred pounds insurance money. <laughs> Likely she's fooled it away for now. Mr. Polly, we must remark, had never had the slightest remorse about the fire which destroyed the Fishburn High Street. But when he imagined his wife, he imagined her crying. And this gave him distress. Always talking of doing things for herself. Why couldn't she? Mr. Polly had found his place in the world. But he was looking long neglected facts in the face. Ah, silly to begin thinking about her. Blooming silly. <laughs> Ah, 
Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Would you like to buy some sweets? Not today, thanks. Pleasant sweet shop you have here. Polly and Larkins, that's the name, eh? Says so on the sign, don't it? You the proprietor? It's my sister's shop, really. Mrs. Polly. I'm Miss Larkins. Perhaps you'd like some tea, sir, with a tea room upstairs. If I might. Oh, this way, sir. My sister's been cleaning up the tea room, bit upset, I'm afraid. It would be. Beg pardon? I, I said I didn't mind. Oh. In here? That's right. Well, nothing like turning things upside down when you're cleaning. It's my sister's way. What with the tea, sir? Oh, an egg, if I might. Uh, unusual name, Polly. My sister's married name. She married a Mr. Polly. Widow, I presume. Yes, this five years come October. You don't tell me, sir. Found drowned he was. Wouldn't have known him, my sister wouldn't. Hadn't been for the name sewn in his clothes. Must have been a shock for her. Twas, rather. But sometimes a shock's better than some other things. No doubt. Life insured? We started the tea room with it. Uh, well, marriage is a lottery. She found it so. Wasn't particular good sort, this Mr. Polly. I don't uh, say nothing against the dead, but many's the time I pitied my sister. Mm. Inquest on him, I suppose. Of course. Why'd you ask? You're sure it was him? Why, who else would it have been in the very clothes he wore? Oh, yes, the clothes. Well, <laughs> one gets talking. Uh, one does. Um, how long do you like your eggs boiled? Four minutes. I'll see to him straight. Oh, Miriam, there's a gent upstairs in the tea room. Oh, did you get him everything it? <gasps> nice afternoon. Oh! Well, Here, now, don't faint. Oh, Sit it's down. you. No, it isn't. Just looks like me, that's all. Oh, I knew that man wasn't you all along. I tried to think it was. Oh, I always feared you'd come back. I haven't come back. Don't you think it? Oh, we'll pay back the insurance now. I don't know. Now, look here, Miriam. I haven't come back and I'm not coming back. I thought you might be in trouble or some silly thing. Now I see you again, I'm satisfied, see? You mean you'll go away? I'm gone. I never was here. Don't you think you're going to see me again, for you ain't. Goodbye. How ain't you going to stay, sir? I've just got the eggs Never ready. mind the eggs. See to the missus upstairs. She's had a bit of a shock. Something about seeing a ghost. <laughs> Nice evening, old party. It is, Polly. River looks real pretty. It does. Oh, and speaking of that, Jim ain't going to come back again, ever. You, you know something? He got drowned five years ago, miles from here. Lord. It's right enough. How'd you know? I went to me home. He'd got me clothes, and they thought it was me. They? Doesn't matter. I'm not going back again. Poor Jim. Can't hardly say I'm sorry. Nor me. But it don't seem much good his having been alive, does it? Wasn't much good. Ever. I wonder about life. You start out expecting something and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't matter. You start out thinking some things are good and some are bad. I set fire to an house once. You, Polly. I don't feel sorry. Just one of those things what happened to me. Like you can't help being fat. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. Well, helps and it enders. Like this sunset is happening to me. Lord, look at it. Don't see it does you any good, always looking at sunsets. Who cares? Well, someday you won't see them anymore. Someday you'll be dead. 
and me. Whenever there's signs of a good sunset and I'm not too busy, I'll come sit out here. Not always. Come here when I'm a ghost. Spoil the place for the tribe. <laughs> ah, not my sort of ghost. I'll just be a mellowish, warmish kind of a feeling. Time we was going in. You're right, old party. Supper to get. It's as you say. We can't sit here all night. The curtain falls on the fourth in our series of radio plays based on outstanding works in modern British and American fiction. Today, the NBC University Theater has brought you an adaptation by Clarice A. Ross of the H.G. Wells satire, The History of Mr. Polly, starring Boris Karloff in the leading role. Our cast included Ramsey Hill, narrator, Constance Cavendish, Terry Kilburn, Gray Stafford, Donald Morrison, Naomi Stevens, Ina Ronsley, Arthur Q. Bryan, Marlene Ames, Marty Margetts, and Ben Wright. Intermission commentator was Dr. Harvey C. Webster of the University of Louisville. Next week at this time, the NBC University Theater will bring you an adaptation of Ellen Glasgow's distinguished novel, They Stoop to Folly. Productions of the NBC University Theater are currently being used in conjunction with a course in Anglo-American fiction at the University of Louisville under a national college-by-radio plan which permits our listeners to profit through self-advancement or to earn credit toward a college degree by means of radio and supplementary study. For further information on this plan, write to the University of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Your director was Andrew C. Love. Original music for The History of Mr. Polly was composed by Albert Harris and conducted by Henry Russell. This program came to you from Hollywood. You're invited to NBC's Sunday Night Party. Two and a half hours of rollicking entertainment tonight. Begin with Ozzie and Harriet. Then listen and laugh straight through with Jack Benny and his gang, the adventures of Phil Harris and Alice Faye, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Fred Allen tops off the merriment with tonight's guest, Tallulah Bankhead. Remember, for the best time of your life, the best time is tonight on most of these NBC stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This show ran for three seasons, from 1948 to 1950. It featured the best adaptations of classic novels that radio had to offer. The show was an interesting use of radio for education. It was incorporated into several college home study courses, starting with the University of Louisville and Washington State College, with more added later. I can't help but to think of parallels to current online education courses. During breaks in the episode, a popular author or literary critic, 
and remember that back then it was possible to have a popular literary critic, would remark on the book, the author, or the performance, helping to add to the educational value of the program. The show was broadcast according to the university's semester schedule. The program featured extremely high-quality dramatizations of classic novels, including Don Quixote, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Great Expectations, Of Human Bondage, Alice in Wonderland, and many, many more. The shows were so well acted and produced that it won a Peabody Award, just as prestigious then as it is now, in 1949 for their adaptation of Hemingway's The Short Happy Life of Francis Maycomer. Actors included John Lund, George Montgomery, Angela Lansbury, Jane Darwell, and Preston Foster. But just like today, studio executives feared that the word university in the title of the program was scaring potential listeners off. So in 1950, the name was changed to just NBC Theater. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.